Hey y'all, my name is Joel May and I've almost no am. First thing I want to say is you have almost no idea how good it is to hear over 700 people in this room singing that there is no power of hell and no scheme of man that can separate us from the love of Christ. That's a big deal and it was, that's the gossip. Stand right up here and listen to all of you sing that. That's the gospel that we are going to get to hear about for four nights this week. And the guy that's going to preach and teach and exposit this word of God for us is a friend of, I, a friend of mine named Morgan Angert. Um, in Colorado, Morgan was maybe six or seven years ago, I don't know, but it was at RYM in Colorado, and I thought to myself, man, that guy has an awesome beard. The second time I met Morgan was also at Colorado RYM, and he was leading music, and I thought to myself, he can sing. He's got an awesome beard, and he can play guitar, and he can sing. The third time I ran into Morgan was back in Athens, Georgia. I was out of college, interning with RUF, and I got to hear him preach. And that time I thought to myself, man, that guy is enthralled by the love of Christ. That guy is absolutely enthralled with the power of the gospel and what Jesus has done. So I'm excited to hear my friend Morgan preach to us this week. I'm excited to hear what God has been teaching him. And hopefully we all together can soak up a little bit of what God is the word of God. So Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and what Morgan can teach us through the word of God, so if you guys would welcome Morgan Angert, he's going to come on up here and preach for us. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate it, man. You can only be disappointed from here after that intro. can also be a... Here we go. Like you said, my name is Morgan. Um, can also be a girl's name if that tells you how my middle school experience was. Um, I grew up in Roswell, Georgia. I then attended the University of Georgia, Go Dogs, which is a thing that only people from the South under the yell Go Dogs down the street. After I graduated from the University of Georgia, we moved to Colorado, and if you were to yell Go Dogs down the street, uh, you might, you know, get some concerned looks. It's not the kind of thing that people understand. I realize now, being back in the South, like, I want to have somebody yell Go Dogs to me at a game day and be like, I'm well, how are you? Like, I'm good. This is great. Nobody else greets each other like this. I was a youth pastor. Go dogs all the same. We lived in Colorado for six years. Um, I was a youth pastor for four of those years. That's where I met Joel, uh, doing RYM Colorado. And, uh, and then we got the incredible gift of being able to move back to Athens, Georgia, which I think is one of the greatest towns that's ever existed. Thank you. Um, but I, I'm grateful to be here. This is actually my first, and it's here. In a beach, so thought it was in California until I Googled it, and it's here, which is great. Glad I didn't drive out that way. I have uh, this. You can read my bio, but I'm going to tell you anyway just because I'm nervous, and it just helps me get it all out. So I have three daughters. I have a six-year-old named Lucy, who I'll tell you about here in a second. I have a four-year-old, or she's about to be Esme, who is awesome who's special. I have a, um, a seven-month-old named Esme who is awesome. She's a really sweet little baby. They're all at home. My wife's name is Lauren, and uh, they wish they could be here, but uh, they also had VBS this week, which they're really excited about. So we're going to dig in. 
Today, uh, amazingly, the passage that we're looking at is Prince Joe's Explanation 2, which that beautiful song that we just heard and sang together uh, referenced Joe's Explanation was pretty much what I'm going to preach, so you guys can check out for the rest of this time. Um, please don't do that. I know you want to. Please don't do that. But we're going to look at Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 31, and I am going to pray for us all as we get started. But I pray, I know people, be with us in this time. Lord, I pray, I know people are coming from all over the place, not just um, physically, but emotionally, their backgrounds, their family lives. I know that all of us are bringing into this week things that we're excited about and things that we're terrified about. And I pray that in your spirit, you would do a grace ourselves to the, Father, that you would lower the walls that we have built up amongst ourselves to the gospel. Lord, that you would help us to grow in our love in our awe, in our admiration for your son, Jesus Christ, and what you have accomplished through him. Lord, I pray that in this time, as we dig into your word, that you would see this room, that you would do a great work, Lord, that we would see you all the more clearly, that we would not leave this room any night of this week, the same people that entered into it, that you would change us and that you would shape us, the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, so like I said, I have a, a six-year-old daughter named Lucy, and uh, Lucy loves Pixar movies. Any Pixar fans? Pixar movies? Anybody already seen the new Toy Story? This guy did. Loved it. Okay. Um, Pixar fans. Listen, when you, like, you know, if you grow up and have kids, Pixar becomes a different thing for you. When you're a kid and you're watching Pixar movies, you're like, this movie, you may have noticed that they're all this is awesome. But if you've ever looked around you at the adults in the room who are watching Pixar movies, you may have noticed that they're all crying. Because it's something clicks in your life at some point when you're watching Pixar movies that is like they no longer become like fun. They're just painful because they manage to point out things in your life and in the lives of your kids that are just like incredibly emotional and sad. Movie up. Anybody? I think they might be sadistic a little bit. But let me give you an example of that. The movie up. Anybody seen the movie up? Okay. All right, everybody calm down. It's, it's, everybody calm down. Here we go. This is, this is my thing, though. If you've seen the movie Up, where does everybody cry? In the beginning part. Thank you. And then she dies, and he, beginning part. I cry in the beginning part. The story of the man and his wife, and they get older, and then she dies, and he cries, and I cry. My six-year-old daughter, we decided it's time to show Lucy Up. She's incredibly empathetic. We were preparing ourselves for the like cry fest that was going to happen when she watched the beginning of the movie. Listen, this, this older lady dies, and my daughter is just stone-faced. Watching it, and she's just stone Like, she's watching it. I'm crying because I'm always crying, apparently. And she's watching it, and she's just stone-faced. No reaction. I'm like, my daughter has a problem. <laughs> but so she keeps watching the movie, and the part that gets her, because she does cry, the part, the bird, Kevin, very colorful, very sweet, very funny. Kevin gets... My daughter, Lynette, do you know the part that I'm talking about? Bear with me. Kevin gets trapped in the net. My daughter loses her mind. And because I'm a good 21st century parent with a cell phone, I took pictures of it. And I think we have one, which you saw. That's her crying. My wife was so that I can put it on. What are you doing? Go comfort her. And I'm just walking around her with my cell phone so that I can put it on Instagram and get a lot of likes and comments. But that's the part, that picture can go away, I'm sorry, it makes me too sad. That's the part 
that she cried at, right? Not the, not the death, it's, it's the bird. It was because that is captured by this net. That's the part that she cries at. And I had to ask why. And I realized it was because that is the point of like most conflict in the movie. That's the point at which you realize there, that this, this guy is actually going to hurt someone. And he grabs this bird with a net, and the bird is hurt, and it's trying to get realization that things clawing, and it's crying. And what she felt inside was the realization that things might not be okay. You see, the reality is, our theme this week being the peace with God, we cannot begin to talk about peace until we first take a hard and fast look at conflict. Be okay. My daughter's but the cessation of conflict, the end of conflict, when things are finally going to be okay. My daughter was crying like that when she looked at that image of this bird captured in this net because she just wanted to know if it was going to be okay. Every movie that we've ever watched, ever, she wants to know if the bad guy is going to turn nice. Every movie that we've ever watched, ever, she always involved in our thing. going to be okay because she wants to know in the end is the conflict going to be resolved and are things going to work out? And because she exclusively watches Disney princess movies, I can say, yes, it's going to be fine. Right? But that's not true to our lives. What she's recognizing in that movie is the reality and the pain of conflict. And I think that we can relate. I think that when we watch movies, the conflict makes us uncomfortable. Right? We want to know if it's going to resolve. I think as we get older, we're able to process it a little more. But we want to know if it's going to resolve. But the area in which we are not comfortable looking at conflict is within us. Our energy is predicated on most of our lives, most of our time, most of our days, most of our energy is predicated upon trying to avoid conflict. We spend a lot of time, energy, and effort trying to not have to think about the things that are hard in our lives. Why do people have cell phones? Supposedly it's to call people, but the reality is, is it's just to distract ourselves. Spend time in silence. Right? We spend our days scrolling through and playing games so that we never have to spend time in silence dealing with what is really boiling up inside of ourselves. We binge watch Netflix because we don't want to have to actually watch what's going on in our own lives. And yet the reality is that even as conflict, are, your lives have already been touched and or shaped by some sort of conflict. It could be conflict with parents. You might have a really rocky and rough relationship with your parents if you have one at all. It could be conflict with a teacher. Maybe you've got a teacher that you had this past year that you know you're going to have the next year who is going to make your, you know, and you miserable. Maybe it's a group of friends. Maybe it's just one friend, somebody that you know and you dread seeing because you know what they're going to say and you know how they're going to tear you down. Maybe it's just something going on inside. You're trying to figure out who you are. You're trying to figure out what you're about. And you're not sure exactly where to go with. And yet so much of the lives are all touched and shaped by conflict in some way. And yet so much of the time, if someone is going to come up to one of you and ask how you're doing, what are you going to say? I'm good. Like, I'm all right. But there are very few of us in this life, very few moments where that's actually true. So much of who we are, this passage in Genesis chapter 32, conflict. And so that is why we are looking at this passage in Genesis chapter 32. Because this is a passage all about conflict. We're looking at the life of Jacob because Jacob's life 
was one entirely shaped by conflict. Joe referenced some of this, but I want to give you kind of a 30,000-foot picture of life starts, I think, in Genesis, not a good dude. Let's just start there. Jacob's life starts, I think, in Genesis chapter 25. It doesn't start in Genesis chapter 25, but it's told about in Genesis chapter 25. And it starts, and we're told in the text that Jacob and his twin brother Esau were wrestling together in the womb. Jacob's not even out into the world. Like, you're like, they hate each other all wrestling. Can you imagine as like a new expecting mother what that would be like? You're like, they hate each other already. They're wrestling together in the womb. He comes out into the world grabbing his brother's ankle. And do you know what his parents name him? Deceiver. The one who... If you came out into the world and your parents were like, that's a whiner. If you came out into the world and you're like, that's a weakling, he's not going to be strong. Like if your parents labeled you by your greatest fault, that is what Jacob's name in the Hebrew literally means. The one who cheats. He comes out into the struggle, cheating, trying to get by what he will be kind of living his life by. Struggle, cheating, trying to get blessing out of everything and everyone around him. So that when his brother Esau comes up and he wants some food that Jacob has made later on in his life... Jacob, instead of just going, yes, you're my brother, here's some food, he goes, no, you can't eat unless you give me your birthright, okay? I need to take your position in life. You can't eat unless I basically get to be the firstborn, okay? I need to take your position in life. You can't eat until you give me that. And Esau, who I'm convinced was not a very smart individual, just goes, okay. Like, there had to be more to that conversation than we get in Scripture. But in Scripture, we're basically told that Esau goes, all right, and so he Jacob's life goes, seems like a sour deal. Jacob's life goes on. He wants to obtain his father, Isaac's blessing before he dies. But the blessing would normally go to the favored son, the firstborn. So what does Jacob do? Put his, Esau was a hairy to go to his father and say, hey, I would like to talk about this. Jacob put, his, Esau was a hairy dude, I can relate. Esau had hair all over his arms, apparently, and so Jacob puts on what would be the equivalent of like a gorilla suit, goes into his dad's room, and his dad feels his arm, thinks it's Esau, and he's also stolen Esau's blessing. So now Jacob's stolen Esau's birthright, and he's also stolen Esau's blessing from his father. And so then he flees for obvious reasons. Esau's not exactly pleased about this. He goes, he meets a man named Laban. What does he do then? He struggles for seven years to marry this girl that he loves named their daughter. And whoops, you miss what happens. Laban tricks him, sends in his other daughter. And whoops, you married the wrong one. So he works for seven more years to marry the other daughter, Rachel. Now he has two lives, and he's been working for this guy, two wives, and he's been working for this guy for 14 years. And what does he do then? He's got too many possessions, and Laban's got too much stuff. And so he gets in a fight with Laban because all of a sudden he's got too many possessions, and Laban's got too much stuff. And so he tries to leave. Which more or less brings us to where we are in Genesis chapter 32 which is now Laban's after him and sends all these after him. 
And just like Joe told us, Jacob sends all these peace offerings. He's going, I am terrified that my brother is going to kill me. And if you've ever read the story, you're like, yeah, I'd kind of be behind that a little bit. It'd be okay, because you're a jerk. So he goes and he sends all of his possessions or it's across the river and we're told he sends all of his possessions and his two wives and all the kids and everything else across the river and we're told in the text that that same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, everything, crossed the river, sends everything across and Jacob here in verse chapter 24 was left alone, Okay. Jacob, a lot stick with me right now. If you've zoned out up until this moment, eyes up here, okay? Jacob, a lot of heads just went up. That was a powerful moment for me. <laughs> Jacob was left alone. I want you to think about everything that I've just said about who Jacob is. He has spent his entire life struggling to get blessing, to be rich, to have the woman that he wanted, all of his energy and all of his time and everything that he has to be rich, to have the woman that he wanted to marry and to make sure that he had the blessing and he had the birthright. He spent his whole life trying to make sure that he was gonna be okay, that in his definition and in his day and age, he was gonna have the good life, which included a couple of wives and some farm animals. He's not dead. Where is he right now? He's terrified. He's not dead. Not yet. Good guess, though. He's terrified, and he's alone. He spent his whole life struggling with the world, his whole life trying to gain blessing out of the world, and he's left in the one place he thought he would never have to be, which is terrified and not sure what's going to happen next. There are going to be a lot of voices that come into your lives telling you what it means to live the good life. There are going to be a lot of voices who come into your life and telling you what you need to do in order for things to work out okay. Some college, then you're going to be okay. Work really hard in school and you make all A's and you go to the right college, then you're going to be okay. Some of them are going to be coaches saying if you practice 8,000 hours a week, then and you're going to be the best in sports and you're going to be okay. Some of those voices are going to say, if you wear these clothes and you listen to this music and you date this person, then you're going to be okay. You will end up just like Jacob. That is the end goal and the summation of your life. You will end up just like Jacob. That at some point in your life, after struggling and struggling and struggling and conflict and everything else, striving after these things, you're going to end up where Jacob is, terrified and alone and wondering why, after I've gained all my life is still not where I thought it would be. I know that we've talked already a little bit about riptides because we're in the Gulf of Mexico and that happens. A couple of years ago, there was a really powerful riptide that happened just down the beach from here. There was a really powerful riptide in Panama City Beach. Riptides is just one of them. There was a really powerful riptide in Panama City Beach. Two kids were pulled out to sea, screaming for their parents. Their parents heard it. They dive in the water to try to rescue their kids. This was in summer of 2017. They swim in the water to rescue the kids, and they're pulled out to sea. And then the 67-year-old grandmother jumps in the water to rescue the kids, and she's pulled out to sea. And then there's like a couple on the beach that sees all of this going on and goes, everyone else has been pulled out to sea, but I'm going to be okay. So they jump in the water to rescue the kids and they're pulled out to sea, pulled out by this. Now there's like 
11 people out in the water, all pulled out by this riptide. And they're all struggling to try to get free. Quick side note, just a, just a thing. If you're in a riptide, you don't swim against it. You swim out and away. Okay, so are we good? You swim where? Out and away. Good, good talk. Are, are struggling against this riptide. It seems unrelated, but it's very important. Um, all of these people are, are struggling against this riptide, and they're trying to get free. Why am I talking about this? Because that is so often how conflict and how hurt and how pain in our life feels. We're going through our lives. We're just trying to figure out how to be. We want us to be happy. We want our things copacetic. We want our parents to be happy. Maybe we want us to be happy. We want our friends to be happy and to like us. We just go through our lives just trying to make everything okay. And then somewhere along the way, we look back and we realize how far we are from where we wanted to be. And no matter how hard we struggle from where we wanted to be, right? we're so far from where we wanted to be. You may not be experiencing that right now in middle school, but some of the statistics tell me that you, you might be. That there are some of you in this room who are dealing with things that you feel incredibly ill-equipped to handle. And there is not enough people... Listen, and actually diving into that question. Listen to me. Listen. Thank you. That works so well. The number two cause of death among the age group 10 to 24, according to the CDC, is suicide. The age group 10, your age, 24. That means your age, some of you. The only other, the leading cause of death is accidental. That's things like, car, that's basically anything else. Suicide is a greater cause of death than cancer, influenza, dollars. And that's combined. And that's among middle schoolers. And that's among high schoolers. And if that statistic is correct, then that means that there is probably someone in this room who is struggling with whether or not their life has meaning and whether or not their life has hope and whether or not they're going to be okay. And it happens like that. And these little pressures and these little conflicts, that it's these little questions and these little doubts and these little pressures and these little conflicts that are put on us. Again, it could be parents, it could be teachers, it could be friends, it could be any number of things. And we get to this point in our lives where we go, I don't know how to get out of this anymore. I don't know how to get free. I don't know where to look for hope. I but the reality is, is that some of you are probably like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But the reality is, is that our lives are so marked by and shaped by conflict. And we cannot begin to talk about what peace with God looks like until we first take a hard and fast look in the mirror and go, what is it that I'm facing that I'm afraid to talk about? And we're alone and we're wondering where the hope. Many of us, like Jacob, find ourselves in moments where we're scared and we're alone and we're wondering where the hope is. But there's a turning point in Jacob's life. We're told a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Pause. What was that like? We are given so few dealing with. We're not told where he comes from. Like, we've already been told, this is God he's wrestling with. We're not told where he comes from. Like, and we're not told what led to the wrestling. Like, was there a disagreement? Or was it all of a sudden this guy shows up and it's just like, let's wrestle. Like, how did this start? You guys don't care. I care very much. 
because I want to know. And a man wrestled with him. Apparently, it doesn't matter. So Jacob's sitting there. He's alone. He's terrified. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. That doesn't seem terribly fair, as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Jacob said, uh, the man said, let me go. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he, he said to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Think about this scene, okay? Jacob's terrified. He's scared. He spent his whole life trying to keep from being in the one place where he is right now. And all of a sudden, this guy shows up, and he's somewhere along the way in this wrestling match. He really, Jacob wouldn't ask for this blessing unless he realized that this guy is powerful. Somewhere along the way in this wrestling match, he realizes, okay, this guy, there's something else to him. And so when he puts his hip socket out of joint, also wondering how that would have looked, Jacob looks at him and says, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to hang on to you. I am going to grapple with you. I'm going to wrestle with you entire life. Struggling to gain blessing. Struggling to gain blessing. But before the man, before God blesses him, what does he say? What is your name? And Jacob says, Jacob. Now, this is not like if one of you and I, most of us, were asked what our names are. Because remember what Jacob's name means in the Hebrew. It doesn't just mean, hey, I'm a dude. It means I'm the deceiver. Jacob's name Jacob's admitting of his name, it doesn't just give power to the other guy. It is a confession. Jacob is wrestling with God, striving with him. God puts his hip out of his socket. He demands a blessing, and God goes, what's your name? And Jacob has to go, I'm the liar. I'm the cheater. I'm the one who has spent my entire life striving and struggling to get blessing out of everything and everyone around me. That's me. The turning point. And the man says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. When does Jacob's life begin to change? When God comes out of nowhere, and he takes this guy who is one of the most worthless human beings that we have in the Old Testament. And he takes him and he grabs him and he wrestles with him. And he forces him to acknowledge his past and who he is. And he changes his name. And he changes his story. Remember, that the beginning of peace tonight. If you walk away with nothing else tonight, I want you to remember that the beginning of peace with God not the end. The beginning of peace with God is actually wrestling with him, is actually going to him, is actually taking our conflict and our struggles and everything else that we have and going to God. Our place, we never even our energy trying to get blessing out of every other place. We never even think to go to him. And yet Jacob's story reminds us that where we're going to find what we're looking for is in his arms. And God speaks with Jacob and interacts with Jacob in the only way that Jacob would have understood through wrestling and through struggle. But there's something else. I'll tell you how that story with the riptide ended, okay? And I'm close to finished. 
The story with the riptide ends like this. A couple of the police came out to the beach and they said, we're not going to swim out there because the same thing will happen to us. So we're going to bring a boat around. But that would have taken a few minutes. And so some people on the beach who were a couple of really strong swimmers, and they're forming a chain. They're starting at the shore and they're... So there's all these people in Panama City Beach, and they're forming a chain. They're starting at the shore, and they're grabbing arm after arm after arm after arm until all told, there were like 80 people stretched out into the water. And the, the couple that was really strong swimmers who got it all started, they went out to the very end, and they swam out, and they started to pull people in who had been out there for who knows how they all survived, even the 67-year-old grandmother who had been out there for who knows how long and was struggling to breathe. The world is going to tell you, some teachers, some coaches, some parents, yourselves, is going to tell you that if you're struggling, just try harder. If your life is falling apart, then you just get to anxious, just get over it. That if you feel like your life is falling apart, then you just get to need to get a new perspective. But the gospel, scripture, tells us that we need somebody to reach in. That we need something concrete, something, someone who is anchored to grab us. That's what God is doing with Jacob. And the only way that he knew how, through struggle, God, it's that God reached out to Jacob, that he spoke to him in the only way that he knew how, through struggle, through pain, through difficulty. God reached out to him. We need to recognize that, that God is reaching out to each and every one of us. That, that's what chapter 2, that Jesus Christ who we'll spend a lot of time talking about this week, that Jesus Christ left his place of security and comfort to enter into our story. He dove into our riptide from which we cannot escape. He dove into our lives so much so that he actually took it on himself, that he robed himself in human flesh, that he, with God, looks like going towards that and seeing how God is moving towards us in Jesus Christ. Peace with God begins with wrestling with God. It's not just this idea of kind of inner equilibrium. It is actually our movement towards God and God's movement towards us and our struggle with him. Finding what we think of to that the rest of this week, kind of redefining what we think of when we think of peace. But what I want you to walk away with tonight is that reminder that God is reaching out to each and every one of us that he holds his hand deep into the conflict and the difficulties. And the problem is that we're so often looking in order to pull us out. The problem is that we're so often looking in another direction, that we're looking towards our friends, that we even look towards the church. And we think if we can just do enough religious activities, if we can go to enough Bible studies and enough RYM conferences, then we're going to be okay. And all the while, we're missing the hand that's reached out. We'll grab you and I will hold you. And I will pull you to the very place that you want to be. And the one place that you can't get on your own. To a place of hope and a place of life. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that you plant some seeds in us tonight. That you would plant some seeds in us tonight and into this week. Lord, that you would help us to slow down long enough to actually look to you, to pursue you, to wrestle with you. I pray that some of our stories would begin to change. Ask, Father, that you, because we're engaged with you. I ask, Father, 
that you would help us to begin to seek out peace by recognizing that it is you who is reaching out to us. It is you who is holding us and keeping us afloat. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.